Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining. Welcome to the Enterprise Sales Show. Um, it gives me great pleasure to introduce a special guest, uh, Dan Swift. Dan is the CEO of Empire Selling. Um, I've known Dan for many years, probably going back maybe six or seven years, where we worked together. Uh, we worked together for a company called Sprinkler. Dan was a sales leader in New York. I was a sales leader in London. And uh, very pleased to say that we, we maintained uh, good friendships. Also wanted to introduce Adrian Evans. Uh, for those that, that don't know him, he's my co-host. And uh, really excited about this uh, podcast. Uh, it's, we're going to be talking about people. We're going to be talking about growth. Um, and specifically around how we exit uh, a terrible two years of lockdown, where there's been this... Uh, scenario of lots of venture capital being pumped into the system. There's a huge expectations from the investors for growth. Um, and we've been operating remotely, everyone working from home for two years. And now we're sort of starting to break out into what I call back to reality or back to normality. There's an expectation from the, from the investors to get a return on their investment. Uh, what we are seeing across the industry is that there are some challenges as we're trying to, to get back to normality and specifically around people and teaming and, and, and alignment. So something that I know that Dan is uh, very passionate about. And uh, so maybe we'll kick off with a, with a quick question. So when we talk about getting back to reality and building those teams, what would you say are the biggest challenges that you're seeing with your customers in the marketplace, Dan? The biggest challenge. Wow. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. I do appreciate it. The, um, there's so many. There's so many. Um, I think one of the things that companies are really struggling with is um, return to work, right? Do we, and this is all over the, the, the press and there's been so many different schools of thoughts on it, but um, some companies took that early position, particularly in financial services, right? Where um, a lot of companies were, we expect you back. Um, Others have gone completely the opposite direction and said, honestly, we, we don't expect you back. If you want to come in, um, we'd love to see you, but um, do what's right for you. And then others are, are kind of figuring out this, this, this hybrid world. And I feel for, for leaders because it's, you're not going to get it right straight away. Um, and I think that's the, it's, it's, it, you're going to make mistakes because this is uncharted territory and um my, my guidance to, to leaders every single time we uh, we talk about this is um don't try and do this in isolation um don't try and make decisions about this without seeking um outside counsel and you'll be defined by whatever um decisions you make right so also go, go to the extent of measuring the impact or the likely impact of the decision you're going to make too because um you're going to lose people. You'll also attract people. Um, so it's a, it's, it's a, it's a massive topic, but I, but I feel for leaders trying to, trying to navigate this. Yeah. I've, I've certainly seen um, a lot of companies in my, in my world, they're, they're starting to introduce a hybrid model. Mm -hmm. um, some of them are, bit, are playing it more softly, softly where it's not mandatory, but it's recommended or suggested mm -hmm. that for two days, Tuesday or Wednesday or Tuesday and Thursday, that you're in the office to do that kind of teaming stuff. Mm -hmm. But um, I suspect my personal view on this is that we'll, we'll, we'll see a, an acceleration towards being back in the office over the course mm -hmm. of the next 12 months. But let, let's see what, how that sort of plays out. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because um, with, 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 there's a, 
we, I sit on this chief revenue officer forum with with Sixth Sense. We had a load of chief revenue officers on it recently, and we asked them kind of what their approach was and, and how they were thinking about it. And some of them talked about um, doing the obvious thing, which was employee polls, right? And trying to get a bit of a pulse on the organization. But the more vulnerable ones said, but we kind of screwed it up because we asked the wrong questions and we asked them in, in the wrong way. And it created this whole uh, barrage of unnecessary noise. Um, so even seeking counsel on what, and again, outside counsel from the experts on how to ask these questions. Um, and then, and even when you get to that kind of solving stage, um, we talked a lot about, and, and I talk a lot about the role-specific um, return to work policies, but even within the role-specific, you've got to look at the individuals in those roles because, you know, we've all got different scenarios. I've got three kiddies. I've got uh, three kiddies under six, and I work from home full-time, and I used to be a bit of a road warrior, but I've, I've got into the habit now, and I don't think I could go into the city you know, nine to five and commute. I just don't, I, if if I was in a position where fortunately I'm not and was working for someone else and someone asked me to do that, I'd be looking for another job. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know Goldman Sachs are now and, and some of the other investment banks are now sort of pushing in that direction. Um, mm -hmm. So the question of how, how, how long before the tech company sort of follows suit. Mm -hmm. So in terms of, you know, you talk, you know, we talk about a candidate driven market. Mm -hmm. um, and clearly, at the moment, it seems to be that way. What's your advice on how leaders should be attracting sales, top sales talent to their organizations during this time? I love it. Yeah, so uh, um, I think there's the corporate positioning on this, and then there's what the leaders themselves can be doing, right? So um, corporations have to do a better job. Um, people have, have had time to rethink what they want from work and what is important to them. So culture and values play a huge um, part in this. And it's, it's one thing to have them. It's another thing to even have them publicly on, on, the, on the website. But then there's another thing to live and breathe them and making them part of the fabric of the organization. So much so where candidates interview and they feel it, right? Um, a great example of it was LinkedIn when I, uh, when I worked there we'd bring um, people into interviews who were perfect examples of the folks who lived and breathed those, um, those values, but were also top performers. And the candidates would get a great you know, feel for um, the organization. It was a, as a big pull. For leaders themselves, you think about if they are doing the things they should be doing as leaders in today's world, their people will advocate for them. So when positions become available um, at that organization, whether they're in the team or not, um, the team members will be asking their buddies in their, in their networks and people they've worked with, hey, I work for this person, phenomenal leader, fantastic culture and values, you've got to get over here. And they'll be bringing their people you know, to, to, to the interview process. Um, the challenge is so many companies are posting so many jobs and sadly so many people are not particularly, they, they don't want to bring people into an organization that they know isn't right or is toxic or this stuff that they're not going to do that so um th these things are so so in, uh, entwined mm. I've, I've known, most companies offer some kind of a referral program don't they mm -hmm. so employee referral x hundred dollars or thousand dollars sort of bonus mm -hmm. um i mean what's your view on that I, i've seen sort of mixed results 
on yeah. whether there's a hesitancy you know why would i introduce my one of my best friends in the industry if he ends up if it doesn't work out for whatever yeah. reason, you're risking that rep your your reputation or your your relationship yeah. um because it's, it's a little bit out of your control but on the other hand i'm seeing people saying that this is a f fantastic company the culture is amazing mm -hmm. it, the, the, the value prop is off the charts you need to get into this so mm -hmm. it depends who you talk to i mean beyond you know a, a referral or, or a pay a bonus payment have you seen anything else that's been working well i think just touching on that real quick you, you nailed it and um the uh the, the percentages that we've seen companies paying still less than you would pay a corporate recruiter to bring in unknown talent into your firm but you're still talking you know hefty fees one one cro told me that they were paying up to twenty thousand dollars um to um individuals who not just you don't just have to hire them these people have to stay in the seat um hit that ramp mark start being productive and then you get paid um um the the full fee um i don't i haven't seen or heard of anything particularly outside of that in terms of innovation to attract um talent to the organization i think the thing that i've been preaching for the last half decade though is um as leaders don't just post on social you know channels obviously linkedin but um when you have open positions because you haven't built a following and and you haven't built a reason for folks to to, to trust you um you know you, you know me i've been banging on this uh, this this drum now for five years because as leaders if you had been posting about the organization the company the company that you work at all the great stuff that the company is doing product launches funding um, case studies customer stories as well as posting about your view of leadership from, I don't know, Forbes or Harvard Business Review and things that you, you know, believe in, as well as your own thoughts and, and, and uh, you, build a, you build a name for yourself as a leader. So when mm. these positions then are available and you start putting them out onto LinkedIn, people massively proactively apply yeah. for them because they want to work for you, whether they have actually met you or not, you know. Um, so that, that, that to me is, but leaders don't do it. No, no, there isn't that foresight. Um, no. I have noticed what I, because of advice from people like yourself, Dan, and, and, and others, um, I, I've sort of followed that, that advice by posting a lot around culture. Mm -hmm. I see that as a huge differentiator at, at Calibra where I am. And, yeah. uh, and that's really paid dividends when recruiting in a market that's so hard to find talent, mm -hmm. you know, being successful in bringing in a couple of really good people quite recently. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's really worked for me as well. So we talked about how to attract and how to bring top talent into the organization. Um, and I, I guess the next question is then, how do we then build those meaningful relationships once you've got them in the business, mm -hmm. um, given, given the sort of changing landscape? Yeah, so um, it's creating the, the environment for them to succeed. So, so many different thoughts on this one. Um, psychological safety let's let's start there um the last two two and a half years has done a number on a lot of people and and again i mentioned it early on that people have had a chance to um, think about what's important to them so it's absolutely paramount for leaders to create this psychological safety this this zone where people can can be themselves but um and, and it comes to vulnerability right leaders have to show vulnerability because if they show it then sellers are just going to feel way more comfortable um in their onboarding um program 
coming to the leader saying, hey, this happened, or I didn't understand this, or this just isn't sinking. And once they're um, ramped and they're out in the market and they're working on a deal, um, coming to their leaders to say, hey, I'm stuck here. I've got a problem. I'm looking down the road and this is, I just feel as though this is going to happen and proactively seek coaching. Um, so th it's on leaders to do that. So it's easy to say it, but then <laughs> how do you actually, how do, you, how do leaders go about doing that, right? Um, and, the, and the thing, the one thing I say to them all the time is that um, you have to, you have to show vulnerability yourself. You have to show that it's okay to make mistakes. You have to um, share when you've made mistakes, particularly the ones where you people can learn from you. And um, and when I've said this before on, on shows, um, the comments have been, that's great, um, but isn't that weakness? It's mm. like, no, uh, the, quite the opposite. Um, <laughs> uh, and and it's, it's like your biggest strength. And um, the, the one thing I would say to people listening to this right now is just because your examples of leadership have been the ones that maybe you've had as leaders, and maybe it's been the ego, the bravado, or um, um, just like someone has to has to break the the the, um, the the cycle here and as a leader just stop looking at what you've had as leadership examples perhaps in the past and realize that this is uh, this is just a new world now yeah. and you got you just got to be approachable one thing i'll say and then i'll, I'll, I'll put, pause for a second is is someone said to me once in terms of my style of leadership that there's this one version of dan swift and it doesn't matter whether it's Monday morning, first thing, or five, Friday, five o'clock as the week's wrapping, or if I'm needed on a weekend, there's one version. And I said to them, it's really interesting because I haven't heard it the first time. Why, does that, why is that important? Uh, and they said that we know what we're going to get when we come to you, right? right? We know that you're going to get an even keel response. It'll be measured, it'll be thoughtful, but you're not going to be in some weird mood or, you know, frantic, or even if, if the world is ending outside of work, we wouldn't know um yeah. just consistency yeah and, and, and that stuck with me you know yeah yeah so i mean you, you mentioned um we talked about engagement and uh what, what one thing that's very common in, in on social right now and just in my social groups is talking about how to engage different generations mm. and as we and because different generations have got different expectations right so mm -hmm. with gen z coming in um and some of them it may be that this is their first job mm -hmm. uh they've never worked in an office before because they left mm -hmm. university two years ago have you got a view on how how you should adapt to then lead and manage teams that are coming from freshly graduated yeah, very much so. And, and it's just before I answer that as well, I had a, a fascinating scenario happen this, uh, this weekend, um, which is related to this. So I took my, uh, my daughter out. She's, she's uh, four now. And we go for a date every Saturday morning, um, normally about six o'clock for breakfast. And I was listening to um, one of the waiters talking to one of the waitresses. And he was talking about his dating life. Um, and he said, I can't believe that I'm like 20 now. And my prime dating years, right? And I was like, prime dating years, what are you talking about? But my prime dating years have been during COVID. And then I was thinking yeah. to myself, like, that is just generationally, that's tough. And then, um, and then, as you say, university has been massively affected. And I'm sat there listening to my daughter doing her, just blah, blah, blah. blah. And, um, but trying to listen to this conversation. And they started talking about work. And they, and they started talking about, well, what do you want to do? Where are you going to go? Like, what are you thinking about? And they just, there, there, there's so much uncertainty about what what well 
what roles are, um, what's expected, and working in an office is such a, an, an alien concept. And um, and then once they're in the office, um, I think as leaders, don't assume just because they're of a certain generation, we cannot bucket them into um, just this is how we treat that generation, because yeah. there could be ten people out of um, of your of, of your new hires, all of the exactly the same age, same birthdays, but ten fundamentally different views of life. So the, the advice to leaders is is read, listen, learn to whatever is out there from research about these generational um, groups, then understand that the people are different, we're human. And then in the interview process, ask them if, if they've got any experience of working before, um, what did you enjoy about the leadership style? Um, what did you not enjoy about the leadership style? What did you enjoy about the work environment? What did you not enjoy? This job is gonna be in person. Your previous job was completely remote. What are your concerns about being in person? And like, uh, talk to people, ask people, right? And you'll get your answers, but most people don't do that. And then you find yourself in a situation where you've got the wrong person in the wrong role with the wrong expectations, and then you lose them. Then you've lost all of this time, all of this productivity, and just a massive mess. Just talk, talk to the person, you know? Mm. I, I, I heard a story a couple of weeks ago, which you just reminded me of, and it was about a sales leader um and uh he he just taken on this uh young salesperson and the first question he asked them was they're in a cafe or whatever mm -hmm. you know go, going to sort of spend some time together in the first week and the first question he asked the the, the new hire was so how much do you want to earn this year <laughs> and and the candidate sort of on a podcast said well actually earning the money is not is not the most mm -hmm. important thing to me it's about other stuff right yeah. and there, there was an immediate disconnect and lack of trust there mm -hmm. um but you know to your point it's about listening right was Listen, that was that, that pre or post high was that in the interview process or was that after the candidate had been hired i think that was uh the first week of having been hired wow so, yeah, yeah there, there you go and, and it's so true it's um like again talking very generally um yes money is important to salespeople, but it's um it's the, um, the the culture and values. It's the philanthropic side of things. It's the um, the carbon footprint of the organisation. Uh, one mm -hmm. one of one of my colleagues um, was chatting to a CRO and shared this story in our team meeting. And um, and the person's uh, got a, a, a son who's an SDR, and the SDR literally was concerned, yes, about all the things that you'd expect them to be concerned about, but literally the carbon footprint of the organisation that he's going to be um, working at, which is obviously massively important but i'd never yeah, even yeah. thought about that wow i thought you were gonna ask something Adrian. <laughs> you you came forward <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry dan it, it's fascinating to hear what you, you you're saying there about your own team about you have a unique lens on looking into other CRO, CROs, um, teams, mm. everything you say makes total sense. And I see, I, I'm very privileged to be running SLTs and ELTs with brilliant, brilliant leaders. So mm -hmm. I'm always in rooms going, yeah, these leaders are great anyway. So, mm. um, but where have you developed that from? You know, I, I call it compassionate leadership, or we could call it just smart listening to your people. 
that that hasn't happened overnight where's that right. evolved i wonder if you could share a bit of that with us yeah totally so um i think of three things okay. immediately yeah. um number one is a gentleman called bill fellini who yeah. was a sales leader of mine sadly is no longer with us but a sales leader of mine who um brought me over with a, a company called complinet he brought me over to the us in 2006 and for some reason he saw something in me at the time i thought i was super happy with life with business yeah. with work and he saw something in me just by the way that i was being existing when he came to visit on these trips told me for a coffee and he asked me this one question are you happy I was like, oh, wasn't expecting that. I thought it was a small, <laughs> small talk. And um, and he just caught me in the moment. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right. And he's like, are you happy? And um, and I had all the materialistic stuff, mm. um, but I was more existing, you know, yeah. like I was going through the motions or whatever. So that was the first moment where I saw a leader who took such a human um, approach and was so, so aware of the, the signs in people um, and what to look for and, and, and what to look for in top performers because I was doing really well. I was, yeah, financially, yeah. you know, it's great. So that's the first thing, like people leaders. Um, I learned a lot from that. The second thing is I'm 45 years old. Um, I've had a lot of terrible sales leaders over the years, <laughs> right? And, I, and I, don't, I don't put it always on them because sales training or training for sales leaders has historically always been pretty below par. So um, people have had to oftentimes learn from what they've seen and then kind of copy, you know, copy it or make it their own a little bit. Um, so I've learned a lot from that. And then the third thing, which um, I'm glad you asked, because I'm very passionate about this, is um, so I've had a lot of therapy, a lot of like decades of therapy. Right. Um, so my therapist allowed me to know me better than... I could possibly ever have imagined and when you've gone through therapy you see the signs when other people are struggling you just see it straight away um which is is my superpower so um for myself like my anxiety keeps me massively on my toes um and keeps me like ahead of the, the competition um so i see it as my superpower um but i see it in other people when people are struggling um when people um you know when there's problems and because of what i said earlier about kind of i call it kind of yes compassion but kind of transparent leadership where yeah, yeah. you know you've got the same version of yourself um and i talk very openly about it people have so often come forward to me and said thank you like can i talk to you about something and and they've opened up and they've just told me stuff that you know you wouldn't imagine and and i say the best sales leaders become therapists for their people yeah you know it's um, wild. So like mental health, man, like I've struggled for years, but it's such the last like two and a half, three years. Um, people, I mean, it's done a number on folks. So thank God I was pretty much sorted, be sorted before the pandemic and years before. <laughs> okay. I, think, I think other folks who um, who maybe didn't realize there was any underlying issues or stuff they hadn't dealt with. Um, they, you know, they've they've really suffered. So then it becomes like, what do we do? Do companies take responsibility? Do, is it the person? Is it the employee's responsibility? It's a, it's a massive topic, you know? Well, if, 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 if companies are, 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 are normally standard by standard are offering health, health mm -hmm. cover and health insurance, physical health insurance, surely 
providing a holistic service is is then that is critical, mm -hmm. right? So. Yeah, I think it's also training. So again, I mentioned the CRO um, coffee talk that we um, I'm on or a chair. And we had um, Jeff Risley who joined there from the, um, let's get the right company, it's the, the Sales Health Alliance. I want to make sure. Yeah. I, yeah, Sales Health Alliance. And he joined and he was phenomenal. And he shared a load of data points, which I'm just going to share because I think it's fascinating, right? So he did two surveys, one in 2019 with 300 sellers, and then another one in April 2021 with more than 770 um, sellers. The first survey back in 2019, and it was anonymous, obviously, but two in five sellers, so around 43% reported struggling with mental health. And they said that the mista mistakes that they made, which impacted deals, were a result of that. And then the survey that they did in 2021, um, it jumped to three in five sellers, were saying that they had mental health challenges, yeah. um, which I think says a lot. And the thing that really made my blood boil, which is rare for me, um, is when he was chatting about it, there's a couple of sales leaders, senior leaders, who were making comments to say, well, that's, yeah, I mean, I, I can see that, but surely when they start performing better and start hitting their numbers, their mental health issues will dissipate somewhat. And I'm like, okay, we need to start educating sales leaders on mental health. We need yeah. to like explain to them that like, I'm one of the top performers like I would say, you know, in throughout my career, but that hasn't stopped me from having mental health issues for two decades and, and probably my whole life, you know? So it's yeah. like, we got, we got to like, just start educating yeah. this, yeah. you know? That, you really hit on an important issue there. So first of all, I just want to just commend you for, for sort of being so open. Um, yeah, of course. I'll just share with my, myself, when my mum passed away, I also, I had grief therapy. Yep. Mm -hmm. And actually it was on the advice of my, my wife, who's a, who's a nurse. And actually for me, that was, I needed it. There's no two yeah. ways about it. And um, yeah. I don't shout it from the rooftops, but I'm very happy to share with somebody on that. You, you hit on something really interesting there. And it, um, it's what advice would you have for a leader, though, who still looks at that person and goes, hmm, you know, I hear this I've got a bit, which is don't mention mental health to me. Can we just not get on with stuff? Mm. Now, I look at sports, you know, every facet from, you know, some of the rugby league to rugby union to big macho sports. People are coming out saying I'm struggling. You know, mm -hmm. Kelly Holmes came out yesterday as gay. Okay, he was yeah. scared when she was in the army. Yeah. So, but there's still leaders out there who go, that's a weakness. And actually, mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to take advantage of that with you if you're actually weakest. Yeah. How do we really get that humanity back in the people that we're trying to actually get raise the tide with everybody? Yeah. You get that camaraderie? It, it's sad, isn't it? That um that sadly those people will not come to the table to learn because you have to be you have to care enough about people to be interested enough to put the time in to go learn about mental health and the issues. And um, those leaders, unfortunately, will become very um, irrelevant to the business world sooner rather than later. And they'll start hemorrhaging people because this is going to get publicly talked about. And candidly, the way that companies tackle this issue will become an, a, 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 the way in which they attract talent to an organization because um, it is that important. I mean, the sales organization is the tip of the sphere and three out of five people are suffering from mental health to different degrees. So that that those sales leaders would will just be irrelevant. And the other thing as well, if, if they even are remotely interested, you said it, said it like tie it to sports. 
the elite athletes um, at clubs like Leeds United, right? <laughs> yeah, dropped it in there. <laughs> Did you say um, elite, Dan? Did you say elite? Yeah, <laughs> yeah good point. <laughs> But it also, I had to drop leads in somewhere. But um, but elite athletes, you know, they're getting trained, yes, on on every possible physical um, element of the sport, but also every mental aspect of it and how to deal with epic failure and failure in front of like tens of thousands of fans in a live arena and then um, racial abuse and homophobic abuse. And so, yeah. So why is it okay to invest in elite athletes in that way? And it's not okay to uh, invest in elite salespeople. I mean, it's... Couldn't agree more. And if a sales leader doesn't get that, then, I mean, there's no talking to them, unfortunately, and they'll they'll lose their people. Yeah, very good point. Very good point. So one of the things I've observed as well by talking to um, a a lot of elite performers is actually, yes... performance matters but actually it's a bit like going back to the sporting analogy and i very much miss playing rugby these days and that's what is the word camaraderie the word mm-hmm. camaraderie comes up a lot and mm-hmm. you know if you look back at your, your your best wins or your whatever wins it may be what what advice would you have for sales leaders as well looking at disparate teams and saying actually how do we bring that together so that mm-hmm. actually we are one team yeah great i love it so um so we we do a lot of this ourselves at Empire, and we did a lot. I've done a lot of this throughout my career, where we talk about sharing small uh, and big wins. Like little wins are important, and um, and every sales meeting we'd go around the room, and we still do it to say, what are your biggest um, personal wins, or the what personal wins you want to share, and what are your biggest professional wins? And you really get to know people because by doing this, I remember at LinkedIn. Um, it was so powerful. We had one gentleman who was pretty quiet and he got to my, his turn and, um, and he paused and said, you know what, I'm, I'm probably, I'm going to pass this week. I'm not going to share. Um, and then he went around the room and then he had put his hand up and said, you know what, I'm going to share. It's important. So one of my biggest um, professional wins, so, so my biggest personal wins is um, I've been going through a hard time at home. I've been going through uh, marital counseling yeah. and um the reason I've probably been a bit off my game for the last couple of months is because I've just gone through that. I'm now on the, through the other side of it. Um, we've decided to go our separate ways. It's the right thing. I'm on the right path. And um, I just wanted to let you know, so you didn't think that I was not interested in my job, my role or whatever. So when you create an environment like that, you have the option to share, but it's, it's you know, it's, it's your choice. Um, and I think that you get that level. People don't get uncomfortable with that. They People then learn how to be compassionate and learn how to um, empathize with people and then people didn't like tiptoe around them they just kind of like dude if you ever want a beer you know or want to hang out or just like talk you know i'm, I'm here you know and, and it was phenomenal so little things like that shared in team meetings and then when it comes to productivity um again i've talked about this for years is it's amazing who knows who so if you can set up your cadence or your operating rhythm with your team and every team meeting, you you allocate a certain amount of time. It could be 10, it could be 15 minutes of an hour meeting. And each person brings in um, a company that he or she is struggling with. And um, the six to 10 people in that likely consensus purchase, although it's, I've heard it's way more than that, up to 15 now. And um, and then identify one or two people and then just throw it into the, uh, the Slack channel, the Teams chat, whatever it is, the LinkedIn URLs, and just say, does anyone know these people or does anyone know anyone who knows these people? 
And very quickly, you've got, oh, I worked with that person. Oh, I've done that before. Oh, I, I can introduce you to that person. And you talk about bringing teams together. When I mean, that selling is a team sport. That is each of you helping each other out. And um, that that brings these remote teams together so quickly. Brilliant. I, I love that one, Dan. I'm going to be looking to try and do my top five takeaways, but I'm up to about 15 already. So I'm going to have to yeah. pull these down a little bit later. But I love that one. Selling is a team sport. So that's, yeah. a, uh, that's a great one on that front. Just reflecting about, obviously, you showing leaders how about social selling, about a build awareness and, and view LinkedIn and other things as a campaign. Mm-hmm. How do you, campaign implies you need to be, to do something, you need to be patient with results over a period of time. You know, mm. people quite often say to me, oh, I've been on LinkedIn quite a bit now, but I'm not, does LinkedIn work? That I still get asked that question, does yeah. LinkedIn work? And obviously when I stop giggling, I then sort of have to explain, break it down. And then I usually send them a post to yours and say, this is, this is the man you need to have a look at. But mm. what, what advice would you give to people who are still asking that question about social selling, about patience and about taking a, a campaign approach to thought leadership? Yeah. So I think um, we have to break down the whole topic because I think there's a misunderstanding as to what um, social selling is. Okay. And, and, and as a business, like what Empire Selling does, right? So um, LinkedIn, 860 million members right now. Um, two new members joining every single second. I remember when I was at LinkedIn and um, for listeners, I launched LinkedIn's social selling business and LinkedIn Sales Navigator back in yeah. 2012, right? And I remember celebrating having 200 million members back then and all being out in New York City and holding big signs up or whatever. That network has not slowed down. So then you think about, well, what are you trying to get out of it to be able to to measure it? Like, what are your actual goals? So if your goals are, as an individual, to um, educate your ever-increasing network, my, my tactical advice would be to get into the habit of connecting with every single person every single day, um, with whom you have any form of meaningful business or personal interaction, like build your network religiously, um, the admins that arrange the meetings for you, um, your buddies that you play know, squash with, uh, a bit random, um, but anyone and everyone, because it's amazing who knows who. Then when you post, um, and post on a regular basis, I'm talking at least once a day, but across a mixture of like corporate materials, industry materials, things that you're passionate about, then you're continually educating your network, right? And because you post a lot about what you do in the company, when the people in your network have a need, the first person they're going to think of is you, right? That's the medium to long-term play. There's no two ways about it. That is just, that's the way to do it. The short-term play though, which I think is people just misunderstand is um, any sales organization, when you get your, your territory and your account executives get the, I don't know, hundred accounts, they, break it down and say, well, these are going to be my top 20, 25. And then they should then look into it and say, well, who are the 15 to 20 people at each of those companies that I, if I can get meetings with, would be game changing. And then normally they pick up the phone and start cold calling or they put them into, which frustrates me immediately into sequences and start just bombarding folks yeah, yeah, sure. rather than just stopping, right? And using LinkedIn and LinkedIn, the functionality of sales navigator and saying, well, who do I know? Who does my team know? Who does my organization know? Who do my executives know? And map the relationship capital that exists to these, these people and then execute on those warm introductions, right? And 
that's where you get immediate impacts from social selling. Like when we run our training sessions, people are getting meetings during the first day of the training sessions. So we've got them from day one. They are locked hook, line and sinker because they're getting meetings with folks who previously would have just avoided calls for, you know, years. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, it's a long answer, but it depends what you're looking for. If you want to do something over time, um, well, you have the, the, let me back out. You have to do both. Yeah. You can't just go ask for meetings and leverage relationships because you have to build your network and you have to educate your network. Because if you see that Bob that you used to work with five years ago knows Sally, the chief technology officer, whatever organization, but Bob hasn't heard from you for five years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do you think Bob's going to introduce you? Maybe. Right. But if Bob's seen you continually showing up in the feed, um, Bob's had five birthdays, Bob's had two job changes. And if you've nurtured Bob, Bob's going to walk you straight in the door to Sally. Yeah. Right. So you have to take that medium to long term play as well as the tactical day to day to execute. Long answer, but it's obviously something I'm passionate about. Absolutely. No, thank you. That's um, that's super powerful. I know the audience, a lot of people in the audience will appreciate that particular answer. So thank you. Yeah. So just looking at um, looking back a little bit, Dan, if you could, in the early part of your career, I know you're a, a very young 45 compared to Rob and I. So, but if you look back to say 20 years ago, if you were to pick three, three real lessons that you would be telling your 25 year old self today, what, mm -hmm. what would they be? Wow. Okay. Um, number one, enjoy your twenties more. <laughs> okay. Okay. Enjoy. I remember like vividly um, going into the office on a Saturday um, and working on a Saturday to get my work together and everything aligned ready for Monday morning. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I took it very seriously. Um, and I, I think it allowed me to be as successful as I've been, but I think I probably still would have been without doing that. Okay, okay I, I could have factored that into yeah. my work week okay. and allowed myself to have Saturday, Sunday. So that's number one. Um, number two is I would manage upwards better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I am terrible at it. Um, I've gotten a bit better over the years. And, and I actually looked into this a little, this little bit recently. I did a blog because um, I wrongly thought that just by being a top performer yes. opportunities would come my way yeah, of course and when they didn't i got frustrated and i never really understood it so some questions for people thinking about this and if they're kind of stuck particularly with new if they've got a new leader things like um ask your leader hey what can i do to make you successful other than hitting my number yeah um tactically let me make sure i'm super focused like what are your expectations expectations of me um what are your manager's expectations of you, yeah, 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 yeah. right? Um, how can I help you be ruthlessly efficient and effective? And, and then the biggest one is, is ask them how they're doing, yeah, right? Because yeah. they're human beings too. And, and right at the start of a call or one-on-one, -on -one and they, they say, sort of, sort of, how are you doing? And you answer the question and say, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> and, and, and it's amazing. People will be like, oh, funny, you should ask pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so those are the two things, upward, uh, upward uh, management. Um, and the third one, I think, is um, I, I think I would have. I think I would have had a little bit more fun. Okay. You know, um, I'm having so much fun now, but I think I took myself too seriously and I was I was um, pushing so hard 
and I don't exactly know when I look back what I was pushing for, mm. Um, mm. whether it was recognition or we're doing very well financially so i don't think it was that but i think just like just calm down yeah, yeah. like you know tw 20 years on and yeah. hopefully i've got another chunk of time to keep doing this and it's, it's a it's a long game so yeah, yeah. just try and enjoy it more brilliant thank Sounds you like gary vaynerchuk he says be 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 patient yep yeah so and i think it's so important for the for the people entering the workforce as well because there's so much pressure on them um and it's just like it's it's okay if you don't know just yeah. you know spend some time you know learning and thinking about it and and don't don't put too much pressure on yourself because it's just uh not gonna help so i'm gonna try and wrap up here and have um a few takeaways as i say i, I normally have sort of three or five down but i've got pages of notes here so i'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna try and do it but I, I think some of the things are really prominent today number one for me that look people as a, as, a, as a result of lockdown, have been able to reevaluate work and what it means in their life. And therefore, culture and values have become far more important to people. Um, and, you know, avoiding toxic environments, people, people have that choice. Um, so number one is the, the values and the behavior of the leaders sets the tone for them. Uh, number two is for me that actually, you know, with, with different generations, just realize that actually, probably look at it look at it individually what individual lead, leads are rather than he's gen x or she's gen y or whatever that may be um but actually number three then was as leaders it's our responsibility to have meaningful conversations and we have to go first and create an environment where psychological safety matters we can talk about it but actually doing the do and actually i call it an mot or you a moment of truth so when somebody does make a mistake how do you respond as a leader um i know one of my colleagues he once made a couple of million pound mistakes thought he was going to get sacked and the early leader said to him hey i just spent that amount of million on your uh, your education okay let's not do that again but i just spent that which is a great story mm -hmm. and totally true um and also i love this couple of things here one of your colleagues has said to you is I only get one version of Dan Swift, which is for me saying, you know, both there's a consistency, what they can expect from you. Um, th then number five was an empathy, have an empathy for younger workers who they, they might have never worked in an office. So again, setting the expectation. Um, yeah, there's too many here, Dan, but the next one for me was about your, your superpower being therapy um, mm. or understanding and spotting where somebody else is vulnerable but then let's move towards them to build trust rather than away from them. But my final one is a sales like sport is a team sport. And I think it's so true, even whether we even look at the most individual of things like being an individual contributor or if you've been a golfer, everybody in all of those settings has got a team. And if you're leading, it's definitely a team sport. And I love the, who else do you know? What's the multiplying effect of us as a team? So one plus one equals 28. So, I, I hope I haven't missed too many there. Is there anyone you'd like to emphasize out of there, Dan, for us? Um, the one for me right now is like looking out for each other. Um, yeah, okay. As, as peers um, of each other in the team, but I think as leaders looking into your team. Sure. And, then, and then as people listening to this, looking at your leaders, because leaders are, are not um, uh, immune to, to all of this sure. as well. So I think it's just looking out for each other because um, yes, we're all, we're all in this. We've all got a number. But at the end of the day, we're all human beings, right? So um, just, just look out for each other. Well, 
thank you, Dan. I think it's the perfect place to leave things. And there's so much wisdom. And I look forward to listening back to this and pulling even more things out. But wishing you continued success with your business. And thanks so much for taking the time out. Really appreciate it. Cheers, Dan. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. All the best.